Amen. 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 Uh, I want to welcome you to the second, um, second part of our series here, Red Letters. Uh, how many of you guys were here last Sunday and you heard the introduction to the Red Letters series? Uh, the, the idea behind this Red Letters, and, and last week I held up a big old King James version of the Bible to show you that uh, they, they sometimes will print the letters of Jesus in red. Um, and so that's the premise of this series is that we're sticking around the red letters. I found out this week that they actually do that in your Bible app also. So you can get the red letter version of your Bible app if you like. Um, but we're going to spend some time today just exploring the words of Jesus, uh, seeing what they say about us, seeing what he says about God and, and how we relate uh, to God. So I want to I lead you today and teach you as a congregation today to ask a very important question in your life. And this is a question that all of you have asked at some point. Uh, if you were a little kid, you probably asked it a lot. If you're a teenager, like some of our teenagers here, you probably ask it all the time. Uh, but it's a hugely valuable and important question. It's a question that will help you in your job and in your school and in your, with your physical health and with your emotional life and, uh, and really with your spiritual life. And so here's the question. It's a simple question. And the question is simply this. Says who? So say to the person next to you, says who? This question is so important because says who is the question that you ask when you hear somebody tell you something or somebody, you know, makes a a factual statement and you want to know how true that statement is, you ask, says who? So when I was a a first-year law student, uh, I had a a legal writing memo class and... uh, and my, my first, uh, some of the law students, I, th- I think I just heard some law students groan just now. Uh, because in the first year of law school, you have to learn to write like a lawyer. You have to learn to think like a, a lawyer. And when you write your memo, your professor doesn't care what you think about a particular legal issue. Your professor wants to know what the law says about a particular legal issue. And so whenever I would turn in my memo... Uh, Along the margin of my memo, if I made any kind of a statement in my memo, uh, my professor would write in the margin, according to who, right? So if I made a a, a legal statement or a legal, according to who, and she wasn't doing that just to be mean, she was doing that because she knew that if I ever became a lawyer, then I would have to stand before a judge, and if I was ever trying to convince a judge to rule in my favor and say, hey, my client needs to you know, win this case because the, the law requires you to rule in my, uh, ju- in my client's favor, the judge is going to say, says who? According to who? What legal precedent? What legal premise do you have? Uh, when a journalist writes a, a statement in a paper, right, everybody wants to know who's the source of that? How reliable is that source? How credible is that source? They ask, says who? When a scientist writes in a, in a nature journal uh, or, or a scientific journal, Right? They've got to put citations and footnotes down at the bottom of that journal because you know, the scientific community wants to know, says who? When somebody, uh, an advertiser, tells you that if you buy this car, you will suddenly be better looking and younger and people will be attracted to you, you need to say, says who? Right? You need to examine the source. Uh, and we do this everywhere in our life, but there's one thing I've observed and noticed that a lot of times... In our internal life, 
in our spiritual life, when we have thoughts or ideas or beliefs that invade our life and our heart, sometimes we don't stop to say, says who? I don't know about you, you know, maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes I'll think a thought, and it won't be a, a God thought, it won't be a positive thought, it won't be an inspiring thought, it won't be an uplifting thought, it won't be an affirming thought. And I need to stop that thought every once in a while and say, says who? According to who? Because here's what Jesus says about his words. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that Jesus speaks into your heart, the words that God speaks into our life, are not words of shame. They're not words of condemnation. They're not words of fear. They're not words of anxiety. They're not words of desperation. They're not words of despair. They're words of spirit and life. And so when you are experiencing those emotional and spiritual experiences that are not spirit and life, you need to stop and ask the question, says who? Who says that I'm not good? Who says that I'm condemned? Who says that I can't make it? Who says that I'm not good enough? I've noticed that as we get closer to the holidays, uh, there's a higher degree of stress. There's a higher degree of anxiety. There's a higher degree of worry. And I believe that a lot of people are thinking thoughts in their mind that are not true, that are exaggerated and distorted uh, uh, realities. And we need to stop and say, says who? Because here's the premise, and I'm going to give away the premise of the whole sermon. So if you get this line, you can, you can, you can just zone out the rest of the sermon because here's the whole sermon right here. The voice you believe determines the life you achieve. The voice that you believe determines the life you achieve. Before we planted U City Family Church, I remember taking the metro downtown to my job. And I would get on the metro and I was reading books about church planting. And I was reading articles, and I was talking to people, and I was thinking about it, and I was praying about it. But I remember the, one of the most um, challenging parts of getting ready to, to launch U City Family Church was overcoming the voices of doubt and fear and anxiety and uncertainty and worry that I experienced in my heart and in my mind. I would be on the metro, and I would sometimes get so absorbed in these thoughts and so absorbed in hearing these different voices. Now, don't, don't think I'm totally crazy. I mean, they weren't actual voices, all right? I'm just saying the impressions in my mind. Um, I'm crazy, but not that crazy, okay? And, and you are too. Um, uh, and, and I just remember, like, there were, there were a couple times I actually missed my metro stop, where I, I forgot to get off at my stop because I was just so thinking about that. And I had to come to grips with a different voice, a different voice that had spoken to me many, many years before through the word of God. And the different voice said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon you because the Lord has anointed you to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent you to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The word of the Lord was saying, Brent, this is who you are. This is what you're called to do. This is what you're called to be. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Because the voice you believe determines the life you achieve. If you're listening to voices of doubt and fear and shame and condemnation, that's going to direct your path. That's going to send you down a path that isn't the path that God has called you to go down. He has a life, destiny, and plan for you, but you can only pursue it and you can only achieve it if you'll listen to the voice of God inside of your heart saying, this is what I've called you to do. This is what I've called you to be. Don't be afraid. Jesus himself actually struggled with this challenge. He struggled with this issue. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way the same as you and I are. And he was tempted at times to listen to voices other than the voice of God. In fact, I'm going to spend a little bit of time this morning exploring a conversation that Jesus had before he launched his public ministry. Uh, And he was challenged with what voice do I listen to? Which voice do I believe? He was preparing himself to start his ministry. He went out into the desert, the Bible says, 40 days. Uh, He fasted and prayed and was preparing himself. And then he had a conversation. And the conversation that he had was not with an advisor, not with a trusted friend, not with a, a, a counselor. He had a conversation with the enemy of his soul. A voice that was trying to thwart his efforts. A voice that was trying to take him off track. A voice that was trying to minimize his uh, ability and strength, a voice that was trying to undermine his ministry. Here's what the scripture says. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. I love, I love that. Uh, it's like the most obvious statement in the Bible. It's like, hey, he had been out there 40 days. He was hungry. He was, he was worn down. He was tired. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, Jesus... Tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. He keeps pushing him on his identity. So if you're the son of God, so if you're all that, so if you're really a Christian, so if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you're really a pastor, if you're really somebody who wants to do ministry, if you're really somebody who has a calling on your life, then X, Y, and Z, right? So, So Satan says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he starts to use a different tactic now, it is written, doesn't God say... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil gets smart really quick and he starts quoting scripture. This is a passage from, Isaiah, or from Psalm 91. And he says, hey, I mean, doesn't the Bible say that, you know, God's going to protect you? Throw yourself off this building and let God protect you. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this, he said, I'm going to give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, get away from me, accuser. Get away from me, liar, slanderer. 
Get away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Scripture says, Then the devil left and angels came and attended him. If Jesus struggled with what voice to believe, if Jesus was tempted with what voice to believe, if Jesus struggled with wondering whether or not he should believe the tempter, the accuser of his soul, the enemy of the brethren, then how much more do we face this temptation? How much more do we struggle with these internal voices that are not leading us down the path of righteousness and faith and hope and glory and mercy, but are leading us down a path of destruction and leading us down a path that, that, that blunts and stops our, uh, our, our growth and our destiny and our purpose? How much more? So it's not really a question of what voices do you hear? It's a question of whose voice do you believe? Whose voice are you going to believe? Throughout the Bible, we see this over and over and over. Biblical characters struggling with different voices in their life and having to decide whose voice am I going to listen to? Whose voice am I going to listen to? Uh, There's the story of young David, the shepherd boy. He comes to you know, his brothers who are on the front line, and you know the story so well. But remember this detail in the story. David's brothers said to him, what are you doing here, David? You shouldn't be here. You're too young. You're too small. You're too, you're too much of a little punk. You have a bad heart. You need to go home to your sheep and watch the sheep, right? That's the voice that his brother spoke into his life. David goes over to King Saul. King Saul says, you can't go out there and fight this giant. You're too small. You're too puny. You can't do it. You're not smart enough, not good looking enough. You just can't do it. David says, who says? David says, the Lord delivered me from the hand of the bear. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion. And the Lord is going to deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Whose voice... Are you going to listen to? Because the voice you believe determines the life you achieve. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys remember those guys? Three Hebrew children. King Nebuchadnezzar says to them, If you guys don't bow down, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace and you will be burnt to a crisp. And they said, King, with all due respect, who says? Who says? Because we serve a God who will save us from the fiery furnace. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to you. Whose voice are you going to believe? Mary and Martha came to Jesus. They said, Jesus, if you had come when we asked, then our brother wouldn't be dead. We sent for you four days ago. You didn't come. And now he's died. And now there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that can be done. He's in the grave four days. Jesus said, who says there's nothing I can do? Whose voice are you believing? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whose voice are you going to believe? There are a lot of voices that you can, that you can believe, that you can listen to. The first one is the voice of self, right? And uh, psychologists call this self-talk. You know, what you say to yourself, that inner monologue. That color commentary that you have on your life, you know, uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. Sometimes you say, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. What am I? I'm such an idiot. I can't, right? And that's the voice that you're hearing, and it's your voice, 
And it's speaking things into your life that aren't true. And it's discouraging you, and it's harming you, and it's hurting you. Now, sometimes you can speak positive things into your life, right? And that's all good. I'm, I'm a big fan of all that. But that is limited by the condition of yourself. The effectiveness of yourself is limited by the condition of yourself. If yourself is in despair, if yourself is grieving or is, in dep- is depressed or is uh, 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 you know, wounded or struggling or hurting, that's, that's the voice you're going to hear. Right? So we can listen to ourselves to some degree, but that's not going to get us all the way there. There's the voice of others. The voice of others. My father used to say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because who we listen to, that's who we become. Right? We listen to others. And there's a value in listening to others. You want good counsel. You want people around you to speak into your life. But your others are limited by their capacity, by their knowledge, by their ability. You remember the story of Job. Job had all of these horrible things happen to him. And his friends just piled it on, made it worse. Job, maybe this is your fault. Maybe you shouldn't have been such a bad guy, right? In fact, Job's wife comes along and says, I've got some advice for you, Job. Curse God and die. Job's like, thanks, everybody, for all the input. This has been very helpful. Bug off. Um, So we listen to the voice of others, but that's not going to get us there. The voice of the accuser. The voice of the accuser. The scripture talks about the accuser or the slanderer or, or uh, the enemy. Um, and this is not, you know, we've got Halloween coming up. This is not somebody in red spandex pajamas and a pitchfork, right? This is that voice inside of you that distorts the bad things in your life, that exaggerates the bad things in your mind. Your mind is the battlefield. Whose voice are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the accuser, or are you going to be, believe the Lord? There's a great line. Uh, it's still the best quote, uh, movie quote about the devil from Verbal Kent and the Usual Suspects. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist, right? So we're dismissive of the evil uh, in the world, and it just creeps up, and it just creeps in. And you start hearing that voice that's accusing you and condemning you and, uh, and bringing you down and pointing the finger at you and slandering you and accusing you. And the, the trick is, and this is just I, just, I hear this all the time when I'm meeting with people, talking with people, there's always a grain of truth. There's always a grain of truth, but it's exaggerated and distorted. And before you know it, you're spiraling down a path that you didn't want to go down because you're hearing the, the, the voice of the accuser and you're believing it. The voice we've got to train ourselves to hear is the voice of God. We've got to learn how to hear the voice of God. King David, when he suffered his greatest military defeat, he took a group of his soldiers out to fight a battle. And he said, come on, guys, we're going to go fight this battle. They went out to fight the battle, and the army that they were supposed to join and fight said, hey, guys, thanks, but no thanks. We don't even want you here. We're not interested in you joining us in this battle. So David says, okay, I guess we'll go home back to our wives and kids. And they start marching back home after this dumb rabbit trail fight that David took them on that didn't turn into anything. And as they're looking off across the horizon, they see smoke rising up in the distance. They get to their village. Their wives and children had all been kidnapped and their village had been destroyed. To the ground, burnt to the ground. Imagine David's, imagine David trying to do some positive self-talk at that moment. 
Come on, guys, it's going to be okay. We just lost all our wives and children. Our houses are burned. You know, it'll be all right, right? No, the scripture says that David had to get down and encourage himself in the Lord. He had to reach out to God and say, I don't have the answer here. I don't know where I'm going to get the strength, God. I don't know how I'm going to walk through this. I don't know how I'm going to rise up out of the ashes. I don't know how I'm going to lead these men. They want to stone me right now, God. I need some encouragement from the Lord because I don't have it in me, and I sure don't have it from them. I need your voice in my heart, Lord. I need your voice speaking to me. I need your voice answering me and telling me what to do and where to go. When you're afraid and you're tempted to hear the voice of others or hear the voice of self or hear the voice of the accuser, listen to the voice of God because the voice of God says, the Lord is my rock and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When you're anxious about your future, the voice of the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for evil. When you're struggling to make ends meet, you say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. When, th- when something seems impossible before you, God says, all things are possible with me. When you feel condemned, God says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. When you feel enslaved, God says, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So whose voice are you going to believe? The voice you believe determines the life you achieve. I want to break down just for a moment the three strategies that Jesus used in this interaction with the the devil, with the tempter, with Satan. Uh, because he's tempted to believe this voice. He's tempted to accept this voice. And here's what he does. The first thing that he does, and we have to do this, he examines the credibility of the source. The credibility of the source. When somebody says something to you, you need to examine the credibility of the source. My wife is home with um, one of our children, or with our children today, one of our children is a little bit sick, so I, I, I like to take the opportunity when she's gone to tell awesome stories about her as sermon illustrations. Um, good, this, this one is not being recorded. I don't see the video camera back here. So long before my wife met me, uh, she lived in Michigan, and she was driving along the highway one day, and she got pulled over, and she was issued a traffic citation for speeding. Nobody likes traffic tickets. Nobody wants to pay them. Nobody wants to mess with it. Uh, And somebody in her group of friends said to her, hey, I know how to get out of a traffic ticket. And she said, oh, really? How's that? And they said, if you will write a letter to the court and ask for an elected judge, then they will change your court date and the police officer might not show up and you can show up to court and you won't get a ticket. Okay, that, was their, that was their legal counsel. That was their legal advice. This is somebody who says, law degree, psh, I got Google. I'm good. Let's do this, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, that was the voice she believed. She wrote a letter to the court. I would like an elected judge. So therefore, please change my court date and so forth and so on. Court date came and went. Nothing happened. Uh, at that time, she was managing an apartment complex in Michigan. Uh, maybe a month or so later, she hears a knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. She opens the door. There's a sheriff. Are you Rebecca Radmer? Yes, officer. 
you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do will be used against you in the court of law. Turn around. Cuffs her at the apartment complex. My sweet little wife never hurt anybody in her life. Walking down the apartment complex. Books her. There's a mugshot. If somebody can find it, there's a mugshot on the internet somewhere of the pastor's wife. Because she didn't examine the credibility of the source. She didn't, she didn't examine the credibility of the person who said, I've got some good counsel for you. I've got a good idea, right? So she married a lawyer. And I said, all right, baby, you got to listen to me on this stuff. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to one of his protégés, Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a pastor and he was in, a, in an environment where lots of different ideas were floating around. Lots of different people were coming at him. A lot of different voices from all over the place. And here's what Paul said to him. He said, Paul, as for, or, uh, Timothy, uh, uh, as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He said, you know the credibility of the people who have taught you. You know the truthfulness of the people who have taught you. He said, um, you, you, you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He said, consider the source, Timothy. When the devil came to Jesus and said, turn these stones to bread, Jesus said, I know your reputation. And you're not, you don't have a reputation for truth. You don't have a reputation for honesty. I'm going to go with the Lord who says, man shall not live by bread alone. I'm going to go with him. So consider the source and the credibility of the source. Number two, examine the context of the statement. The context of the statement. The second temptation gets really interesting because the devil learns really quickly. The devil said, turn these stones to bread. Jesus said, God said, man shall not live by bread alone. Devil comes back and says, I'm going to quote some scripture. Isaiah 91. Doesn't it say that, you, you know, the Lord will protect you. Jump off this building and you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine, Right? But he pulls that passage out of context. Because I read Isaiah, I read Psalm 91. And it doesn't say, jump off a building and God will protect you. Right? I learned a new word this week. It's called contextomy. Has anybody heard this word before? No? I, I mean either. And, and I, like, I like words. I'm a word guy. Contextomy. This is um, the act of taking words from their original context in a way that distorts their intended meaning. Have you ever had your words taken out of context? You hear something come back to you and you go, Man, I, I did say that, but I didn't say it in that way and I didn't say it in that context. I said it differently and if you had heard the other words around it, you would not have taken the meaning away from it that you're taking, right? Taken out of context. Uh, this week I was reading some different um, articles about context and, uh, and how things are taken out of context and the worst offender of all are, the, are movie posters. If you've ever been to a movie and you go to the movie and you look at the movie poster and it says, man, this is an amazing movie. Everybody loves this. All the critics love this movie. Best movie of the year. And then you go into the movie and it's horrible. And you come back and you look back at the poster and go, but, but what? That says it's great. Well, actually, actually, the, the, the uh, studios have learned to take little words from reviews 
and take them out of context and put them on the poster to make you believe the movie's good. I'm going to give you a couple, idea, uh, a couple examples. Live Free or Die Hard. Anybody see that movie? Okay, you can admit that in church. It's okay. We have, he's a forgiving God. No. Uh, live Free or Die Hard. Here's what the blurb on the poster says. New York Daily News calls this film hysterically entertaining. You go, oh, that's a pretty good review. But if you go read the actual written review from the New York Daily News, it says this. The action in this fast-paced, hysterically overproduced, and surprisingly entertaining film is as realistic as a Roadrunner cartoon. It's a bad review. But they just take these two words and they say, hysterically entertaining. And they put that on the poster. The movie Seven, remember that movie, Brad Pitt? The blurb on the poster said, Entertainment Weekly calls this film a small masterpiece. The actual review from Entertainment Weekly said this, Seven is a B- overall. The credit sequence with its jumpy frames and near subliminal flashes of psychoparaphernalia is a small masterpiece of dementia. It's a small masterpiece of dementia. They forgot to leave the of dementia on the poster. They're taking it out of context. Satan tries to, tries to, to, to convince Jesus to make this huge display of his power by jumping off the temple where everyone is gathered so that everyone will go, wow, this guy is incredible. He's so powerful. He wants him to make this display of his power, but he does it by quoting out of context. Here's what... Uh, Paul writes to Timothy again uh, in 2 Timothy 2. It says this. Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Understand the context of what the scripture is teaching you. If you're a person who has just heard little tidbits of this and that out of the scripture and you're forming your life and forming the basis for your decisions out of these little scraps of words here and there, stop. Take some time. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. This week, while we're in the red letter series, read some red letters. Open one of the gospels at home. If you don't have a Bible, let us know on your connection card. We will hand deliver you a Bible. Uh, And spend some time in God's word reading the context of it. I actually had somebody send me a, a text this week and said, um, quoted a, 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 a line that Jesus spoke and said, my friend says that this line means da-da-da-da-da and gave me the quote. So I went and looked up the passage. Well, contexted me, man. It was like, it was right in the middle of a big old paragraph that Jesus was talking about. So we need to spend time, if you're a follower of Jesus, understanding the word of God. That's his voice. That's him speaking to you. Right, So get into a life group and spend some time studying the Word of God. Spend time in daily devotion, reading the Word of God. Um, uh, Ron got me a, a Streams in the Desert devotional that I love. I've been reading it every morning. Just spending time in the Word of God and trying to understand His voice. Because it's when you get familiar with the Word of God. It's when you get familiar with the person of God that you can begin to understand His voice and you can hear His voice. My son Lincoln is, is, is learning how to ride a bicycle. And he has trouble with the, you know, if, if you remember when you were first learning, the hardest part is getting started. It's like when you step on the pedal and then you try to get the bike started. Once you're up and moving, you're fine. 
It's that first thing. So he's really struggling. He was really struggling with this last week, trying to get the crank turned and get up on the bike. And at one point he says to me, Dad, I can't do it. I can't do it. Right? Everything in his life up to that point had convinced him that he can't do it because every time he tried, he fell over. And he got up and he fell over and he got up and fell over. Right? He says, I can't do it. And I said, son, you can do it. You can do it, right? Because I'm your dad. I know more than you. I know some things about you that you don't know. I know some of your capacity that you don't know. Even though everything in your life up to this point has made you believe that you can't do it because every time you've tried it, you've fallen. I'm telling you as somebody who knows you better, who has been a little further down the road, who has done this before, I'm telling you, you can do it. And because he knows my voice, and because he trusts me, and because he has a relationship with me, he let my voice override his belief. The voice inside of him said, I can't do it, but I said, you can do it. And he said, I'm going to believe my dad over myself in this situation. And within, you know, a couple hours later, the dude is up on his bike going all over the place and spinning out and doing wheelies and sliding and all that kind of stuff. Not quite all that. We're getting there. Um, So the question is, whose voice are you going to believe? And the third strategy is this. You have to weigh the cost of the decision. In the final exchange between um, Jesus and the devil, and you can come on up and and play on on this. I'm going to close out with this. Um, The devil stops trying to trick him, stops trying to surprise him, Stops trying to, you know, hoodwink him into this. He just throws out a, pot, uh, he just throws out a, a, a bargain. He says, Jesus, if you will bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's what, that's what I'll do. I'll just give you the kingdoms of the world. So it's just a weighing of the cost. It's a, it's a weighing of the exchange, right? Which choice do I want to make? Which voice am I going to believe? Which direction am I going to go? Am I going to follow the Lord? Or if I, am I going to take the shortcut? Am I going to follow Jesus and what he says? Or am I going to acknowledge that that's there and just know that I don't want to put up with that struggle? Jesus was tempted in that moment. Jesus, you know, we look at Jesus in retrospect. Imagine him in that moment. And in one direction, there's the crucifixion. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be shamed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be murdered. The other direction is prince of the world says, I'll just set you up with some kingdoms right now and you'll be good to go, right? You got to weigh the cost of the decision. Some of you today, all of us, weigh that cost on a daily basis. Which direction am I going to go? Whose voice am I going to follow? Which way am I going to go on this? I'm going to follow the Lord Or am I going to follow myself? Am I going to pursue him? Or am I going to pursue my own ends? Because Jesus is saying to you and me, my words are spirit and life. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want you to come and follow me because I'll bring you spirit and life. I'm going to give you one last scripture. I'm running a little behind, but I want to give you the scripture. Romans 6. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin to tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now 
with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. The wages of sin is death. That's what you get paid when you follow sin. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Whose voice are you going to believe? The next time that you hear the voice of discouragement or temptation or despair or despondency, the next next time you hear a voice that is trying to undermine who you are and cut you down and lead you astray, you need to ask the question of that voice, says who? Says who? Because the words of Jesus are spirit and life, and he wants you to listen to his voice today. Let me pray for us.